May be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verse 18 through 21. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. We believe that, of course, these words were written in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, but that he was writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, these words come to us today with a kind of authority, the same kind of authority as if our Lord Jesus himself were speaking these words to us. So let's hear together the word of Christ. Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. We've been in a series called Life Together and we're looking at Christian community. The Christian life is necessarily one of community. You are called into community. You're called to be a part of the people of God. And that uh, community, Christian community, is an amazing thing to be a part of and uh, is an amazing thing to receive love and compassion and care uh, within the community of God. But, and it can be very appealing, but, but it's also difficult. It's also hard. It's, 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 it's hard to give that kind of love and care and compassion. It's, it's hard to do the kind of things necessary, the kind of things that, that Jesus actually calls us to that, that makes these communities actual, makes them real. The call to Christian community is a call to sacrifice and it's a call to humility and it's a call that really involves a self-giving, not just a self-taking kind of love. And in a secular age like ours, which really is an age of self-fulfillment, it's, it's really an age of, of self-propaganda, of self-promotion, the calls of the Christian life can seem very strange. These calls to lose your life, these calls to give yourself away, not only can they seem strange, in a secular age, they can actually seem wrong. That for any reason you would suppress one of your urges or not maximize yourself. Again, in, in, in a secular world, things like that, that you would sacrifice yourself for God or for the other person, again, not only seems strange, but can actually seem wrong. The secular world is humanistic world, and so it's, it's naturally me-centric. Now, we know you're not supposed to be me-centric, right? Like, we know that we don't want to appear self-serving. And so we've kind of found all these ways to mask it. Uh, but the age that we live in is incredibly self-serving and, and self-advancing. It's very competitive. Uh, when I was on vacation, I read uh, Charles Taylor's old book um, called Sources of Self. 
And, and Taylor's a philosopher that's kind of looked a lot at the current moment, and he's really helpful in a lot of ways. But he's basically said in a secular world, so in a world where you've kind of removed this notion of God, right? So a notion of God gives you a lot of things, right? It gives you a sense of morality. It gives you a sense of why does life exist? It, it, believing in God answers a lot of these big questions. But, and, and it gives you a sense of identity. But if you, if you live in a world or you believe that there is no God, you, you have to, this is sources of self, this is the point of the book, you have to go find a self. You, you have to go find an identity. You have to go find a purpose for your life. And so what Taylor talks about is this idea of the frame, right? So he, he says we, we've all kind of gotten into a frame. We've all found ourselves in some sort of a frame. And, and not all of those frames agree with one another, right? In, in, in olden days, it was more widely accepted what was good and bad and right, because more people had a common view of God. But kind of in this modern age, there's many, many frames. And so to get an identity, you get an identity by advancing in whatever frame that you're in. Now, it's interesting kind of in a modern age, one of the other big phenomena that Taylor talks a lot about is the um, coming of age mythology. And, and the coming of age mythology basically says, I grew up in an oppressive frame with some oppressive religion and oppressive parents and strict moral codes, right? But now I'm free. Now I'm a free thinker, right? So you kind of heard this. This has probably impacted your life. You, you may even tell your own story this way to some degree. But, but what Taylor says is all that's really happened is, you know, you've just left one frame for another frame. And it might even be a more oppressive frame. You know, I, uh, that notion of free thinkers. I was thinking about that. Like, is anyone really a th free thinker these days? I mean, some of y'all might be. But like, it's like you meet somebody and it's like, okay, give me three things about you. And I can tell you like every political position you have and everything because people find themselves in these tighter frames actually than we've ever had before. So now we live in an age where people are trying to find an identity not only by advancing within their frame, but also by proving that their frame is better and superior to all of the other frames. My point in all of this is, in this age, it's a competitive age. It's, a, it's an age of hustle. It's an age where you have to find an identity yourself. So things like gentleness, things like patience, things like humility, things like what we're going to talk about today, submitting yourself to other people. They don't really work in this world. We, we don't really have time for those things. We know that those are good notions. Right? But there's so much pressure now. We live in this pressure-cooked age. David Brooks had a really interesting article in the, in the Atlantic magazine last week. The, the title of the article is Truly Humbled to be the author of this article. And it's satirical. It's, it's a really clever work. But he's basically talking about people know, for example, like humility is a good thing. But we don't actually want to be humble. We just kind of want to use that, uh, you know, character trait to actually advance ourselves all the more. He, he, he writes this. He says, whenever I feel particularly humble, I tweet about myself. The whole point of humility display is to signal that you're humbled by your own magnificent accomplishments. We can all be humbled by an awesome mountain or an infinite 
infinitude of the night sky, but to be humbled by being in the presence of yourself. Now that is the sign of truly great humility. He goes on to give some advice. He says, you, you must always use the word humbled when the word proud would actually be more accurate. For example, humbled to make the 100 under 100 list in Arbitrary List magazine. Truly humbled to be the keynote speaker at the TEDx East Hampton. Humbled that Cameron Diaz is giving me a ride to Bradley Cooper's surprise birthday party. Just thought I'd mention it. The key to humility display is to use self-effacement as a tool to maximize your self-promotion. So you, you, you still hear words like humble, okay? <laughs> you still hear words like love, right? You still hear words like gentle and compassionate or whatever, but the frame of our age doesn't actually push you toward those things. In fact, it says use humility to advance yourself within your frame and to advance your frame among other frames. And that's why this text today, it's kind of radical. The, the reason I'm telling you all this, I, I want you to realize like I live in this world too, right? So I'm not, I'm like, I'm not like an alien here. I, I live in the same world you guys live in. These, these forces impact me in the same way that they impact you. But the reason I'm kind of spending some time on this is I want us to kind of like remember our starting place from the position that we're hearing this. We live in this secular, hyper-individualized place. And so to hear these kinds of one another commands are weird. They're strange. And today's is no exception. Submit to one another. Submit to one another. There are going to be times in your life where you're in positions by God's design where you are called to submit to other people. And that's strange. It's strange to hear. Now, I want to get us to the text. I want to get us into uh, the particular text, verse 21 of Ephesians 5 that we're looking for by kind of backing up and looking at the whole chapter of Ephesians 5. If you are here a couple weeks ago, Jordan preached on Ephesians 5. And it's a magnificent chapter of Scripture. And it's all, it's kind of this outline. Actually, there's a, there's a really helpful outline in Ephesians 5 and 6. You can kind of see how Paul's mind is working when you see the outline here. But it starts off, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 5, 1 rather, is basically saying, therefore, so in light of the gospel, in, in light of what God has done for us in Christ, and, and I would just say this to you, if you've been saved by Jesus, if the God of this universe has rescued you a sinner, if, if the God of this universe, while you were far from the Lord, while you were in sin, sent his own son Jesus to take on your record of sin and to give you his record of righteousness and to call you into fellowship with himself so you can know him, you can know God, you can know his will, you can have the peace and the strength and the poise that comes with knowing God and you can have the hope of being with God forever. If that's happened to you, right, if you're a Christian, there's some calls to that. That changes you. That, that's a, there's a calling in that. And, and what Paul says as he begins the chapter, verse 1, is he says, be imitators of God. Imitate God. Now, there's no higher command than that. Imitate God. If, if God has called you to himself, if God's called you to be his son or his daughter, imitate him. And then what he does is he gives, this is what that looks like. And so throughout the chapter... 
he gives a couple of, this is what this is like. And so first thing he says is walk in love. So one of the marks is love. The second kind of big mark is purity. He talks about fighting sin. Uh, and yeah, I think I have the verses up here that correspond. If, you, if you're taking notes, you can go back and look at this later. The third mark is wisdom, right? And so if, you're, if, if this has happened to you, if you're called to imitate God, you're called to walk in wisdom. And again, I wish I could take the deep dive into all of these, but I'm just trying to get, I'm trying to get you somewhere. So we're going to keep moving, is wisdom. The fourth one's the one we're going to talk about today. If, if you are a Christian, if the gospel's penetrated your heart, if you who are dead in your sins have been made alive with Christ, you're called to imitate God. And one of the responses of imitating God is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the amazing things about the Christian life is that if you are in Christ, we call it justification. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's hard to write and talk. Um, if you are in Christ, we call this justification. That your sin, all the things that you and I have done to disobey God, has been credited to Jesus. And he willingly died in your place on the cross. He took on all of God's judgment against your sin, and he credits you his perfect righteousness. That's what we call justification. And if that's happened to you, if you're justified in Christ through faith in Christ, then you have been made so clean, so holy. I want you to hear this. This is an amazing thing to believe, that the Holy Spirit of God, the very Holy Spirit of God can indwell you, can fill you without killing you. <laughs> that's actually an amazing thing to believe. So that's his fourth point. We're going to come back to this. The fifth point, just so you know, is all the way in 610, and it's be strong in the Lord. But you can see, this is Paul's outline. This is Paul's long sermon here, be strong in the Lord. But what he does is, and under point number four, and he does this with several of these, he gives evidences of what point number four looks like. So sub points, if you will, in his outline. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit of God has dwelt your life, has come upon you, if God himself is, is living inside you, there's a lot of things that happen and there's other parts of the Bible that talk about this. There's a, there's a kind of joy that comes by being a spirit-filled person. There's a kind of uh, conviction. He, the, the Spirit of God convicts you of sin. Uh, there's a kind of strength and courage that comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But, but some of the evidences that Paul gives here in chapter 5, the first one, and this is what Jordan talked about a few weeks ago, is singing, right? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing, sing to one another, addressing one another's psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. And Jordan did a great job of looking at that verse, right? Don't, he says, you know, Paul's using an analogy of drunkenness. If you ever meet somebody who's drunk, they're under the influence, right? The, the drunkenness has, or the alcohol has impacted them. They've changed. There's something that's different about their behavior. And that's what Paul is kind of giving an analogy. He's saying, look, he's saying that the kind of behavioral um, influence that, that you really desire, that you really have here in the Lord is not drunkenness. It's the Holy Spirit who changes you. So one of the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit is singing. Jordan looked at that a few weeks ago. The other, the next one is gratitude or thanksgiving. Right? We're giving thanks. Um, I, I love the, the phrase there. If you're looking at your Bibles, it says, always and for everything. Always and for everything. Christians are to be grateful. This is 
evidence that the gospel's penetrated your life. So are you guys with me? Are y'all following the outline here? Right? Are you getting the subpoints? You getting the drop downs? Right? The big idea: if you're in Christ, be imitators of God. There's evidences of what that looks like. One of those is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and then there's evidences of what that looks like: singing, gratitude, or thanksgiving. And then Paul says it. And we've worked. I've done all of this. Now I'm going to finally get to the text. I'm basically halfway done through this sermon. But I want you to kind of realize where this is coming from. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. One of the evidences that you are a spirit-filled person, that you've been impacted by the gospel, that you're imitating God, is that you're able to both, and I would say this, I want to say this very clearly, both be under someone's authority and be in a position of authority. The reason I talk about both of those is Paul gives instructions to both of those. You, you understand what it means to be under someone's authority and you understand actually what it means to be in authority over someone. Now I've heard this preached wrongly. I've heard people say, verse 21, submitting to one another. Oh, this is mutual submission. I heard somebody talk about that one time. Well, that doesn't mean anything. You submit to me, I submit to you. That, if you've heard it preached that way, that's someone who's not dealing with the text accurately, okay? And we know that's not true because what Paul does from there is he gives three examples. He's saying, this is what I mean. And he basically says it, wives to husbands, children to parents, bond servants to masters. So he's saying, there's going to be times in your life where you're going to be under authority and you're going to be in authority. Wives and husbands, children and parents, bond servants and masters. But I want to stop before we jump into this. What's the big deal with this? Why this, Right? Why is this ability to submit to authority and to be in authority, why is this so important, right? Why is this evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? There's a story in, uh, in it's both in Luke and in Matthew. And Jesus interacts with this centurion soldier, this Roman soldier. And this guy, so he's, he's not, uh, that's important because he hasn't been trained in the Hebrew scriptures. He's a Roman soldier. And he comes up to Jesus and he says, would you come to my house and heal my servant? And Jesus says, yes, I will, I will come. And the centurion, before Jesus can come to his house, responds this way. This is a fascinating passage. I'm reading from Matthew 8 here. He says, the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. And my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes. And to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, no one, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. That's an amazing statement from Jesus. All the people that he encountered. I mean, he's the disciples are included in this. And he's coming up with this Roman centurion who says this one statement to him about I'm under authority and I'm in authority. And Jesus says, this guy gets it. What's going on here with this? Why is this so important? Why is this command evidence of the Holy Spirit? Why did Jesus say when someone basically explained this in his ministry, you got it, you have faith. And here's, here's what's going on here. Christians believe that God himself, the, the essence of God is Trinitarian, right? We believe in one God, 
who is three persons. And, and I, if you haven't really studied the Trinity and something we talk about often here, it really unlocks so much of the Christian life just to understand the very nature ontology of God. And the Christians have drawn this like this. So we believe that God, okay, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each of these persons are fully God. Yet they're distinct persons and there is different roles within the Godhead. So we learn in Scripture and it's been said in the Confessions of Faith that the Son proceeds from the Father, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son and the Father. So in the Godhead, I want you to hear this, you have these distinct persons, these three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all equal in essence, yet distinct in order and in roles. Philippians 2 says this explicitly. Paul says, this is another one of Paul's letter. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And here's the result of Jesus humbling himself to his Father's will. Verse 9, therefore God, this is the Father now, highly exalted him to the highest place. Equality in each of the members of the Godhead, they're all God, yet there's a different, there's a distinct order about it. So, back to Ephesians 5. This is why this is so important, right? Follow me here. What's the big idea? What's the big idea? Be like God. Be like God. And what are we saying over here? That, that actually God himself, in the way that he operates, understands how to both be in authority and to submit to authority. And the result of this is glory. The, the result of this is exaltation. This is evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit who himself proceeds from the Father and the Son is that we're willing and able to rightly submit to one another and to be in authority over one another. And so what Paul does here is he gives three examples and he gives instruction. This is important. He gives instruction both to the person under authority and to the person in authority, right? There's gonna be times in your life when you're under someone's authority and there's a spirit-filled way to live there. And there's gonna be times in your life when you're in authority and there's a spirit-filled way to live there. And so these instructions are incredibly powerful. Now, I wish I could go really, really deep into all of these, but I made the decision, I'm gonna give you these three and then I'm gonna give you two more that we see elsewhere in the New Testament. So we gotta fly, but tomorrow we're gonna talk about all of these things in a sermon talk back. So watch your podcast this week. But the first example is wives and husbands. Again, I know this can be controversial, but, but remember all of this, God is doing all of this, right? We're, we're not secular humanists trying to find our identity in a certain frame. We're Christians. We believe that God has created the whole world for his glory. And so within that, we can recognize that everything that God has made, he's displaying something of himself. And this relationship between husband and wife not only displays this, 
this nature of the members of the Godhead and how they relate to each other. But actually it goes even further. In verse 31 of Ephesians 5, we read this. Look at this with me, or verse 32 rather. It says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The way that God and the order that God has built into marriage not only displays God's essence in his Trinitarian nature, but it also relates to the way that Christ and the church relate together. Don't you see what God is doing here? The spirit is filling Christians to live out these instructive dramas that teach us about the character and nature and glory of God. So the way that you're a wife, the way that you're a husband actually is incredibly instructive and important in terms of how the glory of God is known in your life. So he gives some instructions here. Here's to the husband, the one in the position of authority. It's not dominate, it's not be self-serving, it's not put down. No, it's sacrifice, love. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How is the husband to be in a position of authority in the marriage? Is he to use that for his own advantage? Is he to take that and exalt himself? No. That's secularism. That's of the devil. No, the, the husband is to take that position that God has put him in and totally give himself away. And we have sacrifice and service and love for his wife and family. And then to the wife, wives, um, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husband. There is this posture of honor and love toward the husband, I realize that in this position, I'm able to submit because I'm filled with the Spirit of God. Now, I want to be very clear here. This is not saying that every woman is supposed to submit to every man. That's not what the Bible says. And in fact, if you've heard somebody say that, that's a terrible misreading of the Bible. This is a specific call because God is displaying a specific thing in this specific institution that he has created, the institution of marriage. Again, I wish I could say more here, but we got to keep moving. The second example Paul gives is children and parents. Again, all part of the outline, right? So you could say here, submitting to one another. And actually the Greek, the way it says it, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he doesn't even say that your New Testament Bibles will say, wives submit to your husband. They'll repeat the verb submit. But basically in the Greek, it's just wives to husbands, children to parents, bond servants to master. He's just, he's just giving the example. So the first one is wives and husbands. The second one is children and parents. And he follows the same outline here. There's a command to the person that's under authority and there's a command to the person that's in authority. So children, and if there's children in here, right? Children in here, I see some of you guys. Listen, part of the fact that you know God, that, you're, that you would say, I'm a follower of God, that I love Jesus, the Holy Spirit is active in your life is your ability and willingness to obey your parents and to not complain and to honor them and to love them and to trust that it's actually God who's given them to you. Now, again, this is none of this, by the way, excuses, you know, going along with sin or being in an abusive environment. So you, you can always take this the wrong way, but it's, it's a posture of God has put this person 
in authority over me and I want to honor them. But there's also instruction to the parents. I love what it says here. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I think this is so helpful. The NIV says exasperate. I like that word. Exasperate. And then on the other side, I'll just say discipline, discipline and instruction. Parents, this is, this is really, really helpful, okay? This is, this is Christian parenting, right? Some of y'all need to hear, some of y'all need to hear this. Don't exasperate your children. Right? Don't, don't exasperate your children. Some of you guys are wearing your kids out. You, you, you're trying to find your identity in the way that you're parenting. You're trying to, you're putting, you're putting things on your children that God does not desire for your children. They're just your preferences and you're driving your children crazy. Don't exasperate your children. You're actually going to drive them away from the things that are actually important. But then some of you need to hear this. You know, this you could say no discipline. Some of you, have, there's no discipline, right? There's no instruction. There's, there's no family worship. There's, there's no regular rhythm of disciple making in your home, right? And, 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 and it's a shame on you too. Like there's a, there's a balance here, right? This is, this is how, this is spirit-filled parenting. It's, there's discipline, but, but not to the point of exasperation. Again, so much to say, but let's keep moving. The third example Paul gives, bond servants and masters. These are massive subjects, right? And so, okay, I want to say real quick, this is not the kind of chattel slavery that we know in American history. It was actually truly bond service, and I'm not, I'm not defending it, but it was a bond service. That's why they're using the word bond service, because it was a, you would submit yourself to a term of slavery. Usually it was seven years and people would work in different households. It was a very, very different economy than our own. But the reason that I'm going to look at this text is I do think the instruction within the text is really valuable for how we work today. So bond servants or workers, people working under someone's authority, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. So here's the instruction. If, if you are in a position where you're under somebody's authority, okay, this is so good for us. We're, we're all to, to some degree under somebody's authority. And if you're working under somebody's authority, what, what Paul is saying here is your identity is not your job, Right? This is not, we're not living in a secular world. Your identity is not how far you can advance in this little frame we've created called work. No, your identity is in the Lord. And if your identity is in the Lord, then work, and I love this, with a sincere heart. Don't just work so that your boss will see you and praise you and give you a reward. No, work because what you're doing actually has value. And, and in the way that you work and how you work actually pleases your Lord. Lord, work with a sincere heart. But then, of course, there's instruction to the one in authority. There's instruction to the, in this case, the master. It says, masters do the same to them. Stop threatening, right? Don't you see the tone here? If God's put you in a position of authority, don't flex that. Don't flex that for your own advantage. Don't boast about how you're the assistant regional manager or whatever you are. No, don't, don't threaten. 
Stop flexing. Don't threaten. But know this, and here's, here's the instruction. Know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that's really a great principle for all of this. If God has put you in a position of authority, know this. You're not, ultimate, you're not the ultimate authority. There's someone in authority over you. And how you exercise that authority and how you treat others, how you leverage the authority that God has given you shows, is evidence of, if you're really a spirit-filled person trying to imitate God. And then there's two other calls in the New Testament. I'll be really quick with these. Uh, they're not in this list. So Paul moves on to being strong in the Lord. He moves on kind of his next point in the outline. But in this idea of authority, being under authority, being in authority, there's two other big ideas in the New Testament we're called to submit. The, the next one I want to look at is the call to submit to, to elders, to the leaders of the church. And again, it follows the same kind of pattern. There's instruction to the one under authority and there's instruction to the one in authority. This is Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now this is huge. I want you to... If you're taking notes, take note of Hebrews 13, 17. It's an amazing passage. For they are keeping watch over your souls. This is a call to elders or church leaders. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. This is one of those verses that we often talk about here at Christ's Covenant. And we have 21 amazing elders. But we always talk about this verse. That one day, to be an elder of a church, to care for a church, we'll have to stand before the Lord and give an account for how we did that. How we cared for the people that God had placed in our care. And we understand that by the members of this church, the 961 people that make up Christ's covenant. The way that we care for you and serve you and love you and try to protect you and try to push you toward godliness. One day I believe we'll have to give an account for that. And so I just, I would urge you two things. First of all, you want to be a part of a church that actually takes the Bible seriously and takes this verse seriously, that has leaders that are trying to shepherd faithfully. Not that we're perfect. But secondly, if you desire to be an elder, <laughs> it's a good desire to have. It's a noble calling, but it's a weighty calling. And so we should take this with great gravity. And then to those under authority, again, <laughs> submit to them. Don't, don't make their job any harder than it has to be. <laughs> it's not that you can ever question them or challenge them. We desire that. We want them. But, but, but trust them. Have a posture of trust toward the leaders of your church. And then finally, we see in the New Testament a call to submit to government or people in government, uh, government officials. This is Romans 13. Let every person be subject to or to submit to governing authorities. And this is an amazing statement. For there is no authority except from God. And those who exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but a terror to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what, uh, do what is good. And you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Now, there's a lot that we could say about this. But there's clearly a call that we would honor the people that we see here, that God has put in place, that are in jurisdictional, that are in government authority over us. 
I, I want to make this note real quick. It's not that you can never disagree, right? That's, that's one of the beautiful things about America. It's a government of the people. We can disagree with one another. But I do want to say this. The way that we disagree, especially in kind of this current moment, the way that we talk about people, that according to this verse, God has put in place as leaders over us, the kind of disrespect that I see people showing to people that have different political viewpoints than they do and of the different political leaders over them is not pleasing to the Lord. And I want you to hear this. The kind of disrespect that I have heard, and even from Christians, is a total disregard of this passage. It is displeasing to God. Again, it's not that we can't disagree. We, we, that's, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a gift that God's given us, that we have a stewardship of self-governance. But the way that we do that, there is a way to give evidence of spirit-filled behavior in the way that we do that. So I, I just want to encourage you, if that's you, right, if your conversation and, you know, social media feeds are filled with just derogatory statements toward people that you disagree with politically, you need to stop it. That is not pleasing to the Lord. It's not that you can't disagree or share your ideas publicly, but do it with honor and respect, realizing that there is no authority that exists outside of God. I want to move to the final point, but before I do, I want to, I want to say something very clear. God is a God of order. The whole point of this whole thing is that God would display himself, his glory, his beauty, his majesty, his wonder, his might in his creation. And his order is good and it's right and it's beautiful. Now I say this from one center to the other. There's a lot of reasons that it's hard for me sometimes, and it was hard for you, to trust the order that God's put in place. There's a lot of reasons, right? Some of it's here, right? Some of it's just my own selfishness and sinfulness. But one of the reasons is woundedness that has come from the abuse of power. And, and I want to speak very clearly to this as we close. One of the reasons that so much of this in our modern world is being called into question, right? That people aren't trusting the actual structures that God has put in place. They're actually for our good is woundedness that has come because of people abusing the authority that they have put in place. There is a high calling. When you're under authority, be under authority well. But I want you to hear this. When you're in authority, right, men who are husbands, you're in authority. People who have jobs where you are a boss and people report to you, when you're in authority. Parents, you're in authority over your children. Government officials, you're in authority over people. Please remember that it is God himself that's given you that stewardship. You are ultimately under his authority. And no authority comes for you to aggrandize yourself, for you to boost yourself up. No, God has given you that authority so that you can serve him, don't you see? Here's the key, and here's the final point. Submit to one another, be in authority, and be under authority out of reverence for Christ. If you're under authority right now, if you're questioning it, here's what I would say to you. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, who is God himself, yet submitted himself to his Father's will. If you're in authority right now, look to Jesus, 
who had the name that is above every name, who was exalted above all things, but who gave himself freely away, who used, who used his authority for the advantage of others. Is that how you, you use your authority? Look to Jesus if you're in authority. Look to Jesus if you're under authority. And here's the deal. God didn't create these systems and structures to suppress us. You know what? He actually created them to exalt us so that we would be exalted. Christ humbled himself. And now in his humiliation, he has been exalted and given the name that is above every name. God in his design wants us to find ourselves in his design so that in his design, his glory may be known and that in him, through faith in Christ, as we look to Christ, we may be exalted with Christ. May God give us the faith and the grace to look to Jesus and to trust him in these things. Let's pray. Father, give us the faith and the grace to look to Jesus right now. If we are under authority, give us, give us faith. Help us to look to Jesus. Help us to look to the one who, on the night that he was betrayed, cried out to you, Father, if there's any way, let the cup pass from me, yet submitted to your will. Help us to look to Jesus when we're under authority. In authority. Help us to look. I pray, Father, that we would not use that kind of authority for our own aggrandizement or self-service, Lord, but we would give our lives away as our Lord Jesus has done. And I pray, that, Father, that as we are able to do this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, you would build here a community of people that so pleases you and that glorifies you. And that as we look to Jesus, we would be exalted with him. I pray for this in Jesus' name and for his sake.